<laughs> all right, all right, you can take your seats. All right. I pick fights. That's just what I do. So I, uh, I entered ministry uh, fulfilling the call that God had placed on my life back in June of 1997. Uh, I was living in Chicago Heights, Illinois, just across the border over here. And uh, in the 25 years or so since I started into ministry, I've met more people and I've experienced more unique situations and engaged in unique conversations that honestly never would have crossed my mind. I, I look back on the 25 years of ministry and I just think, wow, who would have thought that I would be able to have those conversations and be in those settings? Whether it was getting my feet wet, uh, really, and, and my first ever taste of what a multi-ethnic community and congregation looked like and felt like by being a part of that church in Chicago Heights, or things like weeping uh, over saying goodbye to a young man that I connected with just on a, a really, really deep level in, of all places, Vyazma, Russia. Um, it's just incredible conversations in different situations. Or the fatherly watch care that I and my family, uh, with three little tiny kids, uh, received in those early years from this old, single, Baptist theology professor at a seminary in the town that I pastored in, Ankeny, Iowa. Um, someone who, because of theological differences or just because, I don't know, but his school actually wouldn't let him fill in uh, to preach for me when I was out of town. And yet that man treated us like family and treated my kids like his grandkids, and he loved on us, uh, Myron Houghton. Or I look back and I think about the tears that were shed, saying goodbye to our Japanese neighbors in, of all places, the middle of corn, a cornfield, the middle of nowhere in Iowa. And we had Japanese neighbors, the language barrier very, very real. And yet, as we were saying our goodbyes, getting ready to move, uh, weeping, because this is a family who had opened their hearts to the gospel and began hearing the truth of Jesus Christ. Well, those different situations, or being invited to speak, um, being trusted and welcomed in churches in an urban setting that didn't look like me but yet being invited and trusted to go stand behind a pulpit in those situations and bring the word of God. Even in one situation, being able to bring my dad before he died uh, to one of those services. And my dad, I can guarantee, never thinking, he would ever, first of all, see his son in that situation, but find himself in a, such a diverse, racially diverse, in a racially divided city. Um, that situation. And... Uh, those, those amazing moments. And then there's Los Posadas. I don't know if you know what Los Posadas is. It invited my wife and I and welcomed into this intimate setting with Mexican Catholics. Um, again, the, the language barrier, very, very real. Uh, and they invited us in for Los Posadas. This was to eat, and we did, we ate. But more importantly, we sang in Spanish about the birth of Jesus 
in the journey to Bethlehem and the experiences of Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem. Cada palabra estaba en español. Y sabanas muy poco español. The only reason I know how to say that is I rehearsed that like 20 times. But all, it says all of it is in Spanish and we speak very little. <laughs> and that's true. And yet we were family. We were, we were invited to Los Posadas, the inn. That's what it means, the inn. And uh, we're able to do that. And of course there's Paul Marcito, Guatemala, our partner church in Guatemala. People who have modeled faith for me more than probably anybody I've ever met in my entire life. So I've been, I've been privileged to be in these conversations, these, these encounters, these meals, all, all of these different things, this oneness, where it didn't matter all these you know, visible differences or anything like that. What mattered was that there was a Christ that united us. And it didn't make sense. It didn't make sense. And I share those experiences with you, not for you to be like, wow, Rich, you're kind of a big deal. I'm so not a big deal. I share those experiences because I've seen something and I've experienced something. And once you've seen that and once you've experienced it, once you know that that something is there, you actually start to hold out hope. <laughs> In a time when there's a whole lot of reasons to give up hope, you start to hold out hope. You hold out this confidence that believing that something is possible is not in vain. This is possible. And your belief in something happening is not in vain. So in a world of division, in a world of hate, in a world of anger, even in the world of the church, there is still this hope. I at least have this hope. Because I've tasted this. I know it's there. Unity in a world that's so divided. And I, I understand that unity is a word that's thrown around a lot. And the truth is, is the word unity has a lot of misapplications tied to it. Unity is usually kind of this idea of conformity, sameness, everyone in lockstep, right? There's no variation, there's no deviation. Everybody looks the same, acts the same, votes the same, believes the same, all these different same aspects. It's the idea of there are no variations. It's like an army marching right? Each looking the same as the others. But what that is, is only a perception of unity. That's not what the Bible talks about when it talks about unity. So in John chapter 17, Jesus prays for his disciples. We've talked about this verse quite a bit this year. And that includes us. He's praying for us. You'll see it on the screen. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. In other words, the discipleship that are, that are around him at that time. My prayer is not for them alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and me. We're here because of the message that's been passed through the disciples. That all of them, and this is what he's praying for, would be one. That we would be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. He says, I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete, and here's the word, Jesus used it, unity. Maybe brought to complete unity, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. It's as if Jesus is saying, 
look, we're really gonna, we're gonna shock the world. We're gonna take this goofy group of people <laughs> that are so different from one another. There's no logical reason they should be in the room at the same time for the same reason. There's just no, no reason for that whatsoever. Language barriers, voting barriers, I mean, just whatever wall you wanna construct. There's a million reasons why these people should not be together as one, and we're gonna, we're gonna blow the world's mind. We're gonna show the world how they love one another, how they care for one another, how they embrace one another, how they transcend these language barriers, these ethnic barriers, these racial barriers that people love to construct and actually live out Ephesians chapter two where it says the dividing wall has been torn down. We actually embody that and live that. We're gonna mess with the world and give them a picture of something that should not happen because I guess, you know, it, I mean, in a, a divided world, in a world that's so broken and built on division and everything fights for division, all this kind of different stuff, we're going to give a picture that has them look at it and be like, yeah, that's not of this world. Jesus must be the real deal because only somebody like Jesus could pull something like that off. Jesus working in our hearts, in our minds. And what's going on now is we have entered into the home stretch of this annual focus. We started it in January called One. Okay, we've been allowing scripture to discern for us what it looks like in a divided world for the church to be one. Not unified for conformity's sake. That's not what we're talking about. But truly be one as Jesus prayed in John 17. What does that look like? And, and just as a reminder, you know, when Jesus prayed in John 17, listen, that prayer, that's the prayer of somebody who had very, very little interest in birthright supremacy. Um, Jesus was unmoved by earthly power. Jesus was unmoved by political sway. He was unmoved by those things, things that are so, so attractive and held so close to the hearts of so many religious people in our world today. They didn't have any pull on him whatsoever. This is a savior who talked of the last being the losers. That's not what he said, is it? He said, no, the last are actually gonna be first. Being a servant of the people who vote like you. No, he said, being a servant of all, laying down your life for the sake of others, denying self, healing the hurting, caring for those who are poor, elevating the marginalized, freeing the oppressed. This is the prayer, John 17, of a savior who did not come to build a nation. No. He actually tore down all kinds of dividing walls and then he used the material to build tables, community. And he invites all of us to come. He invites foot washers and peacemakers and cheek turners, enemy lovers. These are subversives who don't look like, who don't sound like, or embody the division of the world we find ourselves in. That's who sits at the table. And by the end of the series that we're beginning today, we're going to be sharing our focus for 2023. Uh, until then, our focus turns to something that speaks to that oneness, something that unites. It's beyond conformity, 
but it unites followers of the way since it was written. It's not scripture. It's from scripture. So what we're going to talk about is not scripture per se, but it is from scripture. And over the centuries, it has been a source of unification for believers of every culture, of every language, of every persuasion, of every worship style, of every denominational affiliation, and more. It's been the uniting factor. It's a touchstone. It's a baseline. It's the Apostles' Creed. So today, I want to spend some time just kind of introducing us to this unifying creed, this one creed. So to do that, I want to kind of take you on a journey. So Google Maps... Google Maps is probably one of the greatest inventions in the last two, two decades. I, do you, does anybody in here use Google Maps? Okay. If you don't, you use the lesser Apple, right? I get that. I can throw all kinds of shade all day. I have an iPhone in my pocket, by the way, and I use Google Maps on it. Um, but uh, Google Maps is just this incredible invention. Before that, it used to be that you had these giant maps, right? I'm not even going to unfold this because to fold it, it's not even folded back up right because you need an engineering degree to fold it up right. So before that, you had these. And these worked, right? You had Atlas and all that kind of different stuff. These worked. But the problem is, is if you wanted to like go on a journey and you open this big old thing up, it's seriously overwhelming, is loaded with information that you do not need. Like, here is the greatest attractions on your journey, or here's every single railroad crossing, or if, you're, if yours has topography on it and stuff, here's every river, here's every valley, here's where the ground goes up and down. It's got every rest stop. It's got anything and everything that you could ever get distracted by is on this map, and then you got to fold it back up and pull it back out every time you need to make a turn or all that kind of different stuff. Okay, so Google Maps is this amazing, amazing thing. You don't have to sift through all of that information anymore. Instead, with Google Maps, you literally plug in one address. One address, a destination, and you are shown the quickest route to get to your destination. Maybe, that, maybe it's home. The quickest route to get to home. So what you see on the screen there is from here to 206 South Spruce Street in Washington, Illinois. It's outside of Peoria. That's the house I grew up in. So let's say we're going to take that journey. A journey there. But even then, and that map doesn't do it, but if you use Google Maps and you put your phone right there on the magnet on your dash, pretty soon, as soon as you start that journey, somebody tells you every single thing that you need to know. In one mile, you're going to turn right. I'm like, I'm not even, by the time I go through one mile, I've forgotten already. So, I mean, they have to, mine is a lady. She reminds me all the time of what I need to do. Then all of a sudden, there's a notification. Hey, we may have found a shorter route. If you want to do that, click here. I'm driving, okay, so I shouldn't be clicking anything, but I'm, you know, ooh, a faster way, of course. I'm the faster pastor. I wanna, I'm gonna get there, man. I'm, I'm ready to go, so I wanna hit that button and get there faster. Or you, you also know as you go along Google Maps as you're driving, there's all, the, that's the blue line, but then there's all these gray lines that strip off of it that say similar ETA, similar estimated time of arrival the key word being estimated, okay? 
So there's always this temptation to deviate off of this main route. If I would just stay on that route, and then all of a sudden, you know, there's all kinds of different things you can plug in. Show me where all the restaurants are. Show me where all the rest stops are. Show me where all the whatever is, and you have all of those at your disposal. But still, it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to take off and peel off on these things. So the question I have is, is there an even clearer map? Like, is there a map where we can strip away all the other things and just show me how to get home? Just show me how to get home. One that's not cluttered with secondary things. As great as those secondary things might be, but it's not cluttered by those things. A map that only shows me those touch points. Like when the land starts to even out near Gardner, Illinois. When you get to Gardner, Illinois on I-55 South, you finally, you finally have crept out of the Chicago pattern of traffic. And you can kind of kick back, hit your cruise, and it is a lot of straight driving. And you finally enter into this mode, and once you get to that point, you know, I'm on the route home. I'm on my way home. There's a temptation, though, because the further you get down 55, all of a sudden, you're, you're supposed to be going on, you're supposed to take the 24 exit, but 116 creeps up on you. And Google Maps will tell you, hey, this is a little bit more scenic. And there's a huge temptation to peel off and go down 116. But if you stay the course, you're on the route home. And then finally, when you're on 24, and all of a sudden, the next touchstone touch point that you have is that courthouse in Eureka, Illinois. It's the largest building you've seen in hours. And when you pass that, it's like a sentinel that's right there telling you, you're on the route home. Stay the course. This is the path. And then, of course, you get even closer, and there's these really, really, and I don't know if you can see it in the picture, but there's this familiar, as soon as you turn on Spruce Street, hum that starts coming through your wheels as you drive down that brick road. And you drive past that boyhood school that I went to. And then finally, you cross that last intersection and you arrive to that home. This is the house I grew up in, 206 South Spruce Street. That picture was taken on Google Maps uh, two months before my mom passed away in that living room. And my dad would later pass away in that house as well. And that house doesn't look like that today. Uh, it's been remodeled and they had to raise it up and change the entire basement, all kinds of different stuff. But home, home. If our life is a journey home, how easy is it to get lost even if you have a map? How easy is it to get distracted by secondary things? How easy is it to get in an argument with other travelers on the journey home about the right way? <laughs> about these secondary things that we like to let get us distracted. When God all along is saying, here are the touch points. Look for the courthouse. Look for the exit. Look for the brick road, and that will get you 
home. What the Apostles' Creed does is it strips certain things away and brings it all down to these essentials. These essentials that have been agreed upon over the course of church history as the signposts. These are the landmarks. These are the pivotal intersections that take all who believe home. Do you believe that? Is what is contained in the Apostles' Creed enough? While the Apostles' Creed begins with the words, I, I believe, make no mistake, this is not just an individual declaration. Okay? When you and I make the statement, I believe, and, and Hannah touched on this earlier, it translates into somehow we live our lives, but we're also joining that I with a bunch of other eyes, who for bil- billions of people throughout church history have said this, and more after we're gone, we'll say this as well. We're joining our eye with billions of other eyes, and essentially we're saying we believe. We believe. This is not just an individual affirmation. If it were, the creed would just be some nightly prayer that you could say. Instead, throughout the centuries, it's a collective, corporate, communal statement. And it doesn't begin with we believe, but it is implied. Okay, it's saying, I believe with so many others who believe. It's not a statement of the Catholic Church, even though the word Catholic is in it. I'm a huge fan of reclaiming words that have been taken and given new meanings and saying, no, we're gonna, we're gonna like reassign the meaning back to it, okay? Uh, just by saying the word Catholic in the Apostles' Creed does not mean that you're giving allegiance to the Catholic Church. Just by not saying Catholic doesn't mean you're giving allegiance to the Protestant Church, okay? It's a word that has meaning, and we'll get to that when we get to that place, okay? But it, it, it is not just a statement of any specific church. It is a statement of belief of the church, of Jesus Christ. And I think that as we go through this series, God is actually going to use this to show us how much we actually have in common in a world that thrives. And even in a church world that thrives, I'm pointing out all the ways we're not in common. Uh, so I want to thank you for your patience with this. This is an introductory message. Uh, we're almost done, but next week we're going to jump into this first statement. Today, in our remaining time, I want to share with you the underlying question that we're going to ask this series. The question that we're going to ask is this. What do we have? What do we have? For instance, next week, we'll talk about the fact that we have a loving, almighty parent. That's what we have. What does that mean? That we have this loving father. What do we have? The language of the New Testament speaks to believers living in unity. Many parts, different gifts, different looks, talents, expressions. Under one head, under Jesus Christ. We don't do that to fulfill our purposes. We do that to fulfill his purposes. God chose to move in this world through his church. And it doesn't work without unity. I mean... Unless we're all naive, and, and maybe I'm the most naive of everybody, I don't know. 
can we agree that the church, at least in the United States, isn't working super great right now? I mean, to me, I don't, I don't know the advantage of not acknowledging certain things. We're in a new reformation. <laughs> We're in a new day where we are invited as believers of Jesus Christ to recognize, okay, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be a follower of the way in the world that we find ourselves in? And you don't have to spend, but first of all, two minutes on TikTok, but you don't have to, I mean, any social media platform, any news outlet or anything, there are church leaders falling. There are all kinds of divisions taking place in churches right now. There's, there's a million and one reasons to look at the church and realize we don't practice what we preach. We don't live out the example of what this oneness looks like. We need one another more than we know we do. God chose to move through his church, and it doesn't work without unity. The church is not just better together. It doesn't work unless we're together. It doesn't work. We are made for oneness, for unity. So knowing that, we're turning to the Apostles' Creed as we wrap some of this stuff up. And the Apostle Creed, first of all, I want you to know is that it underlines the Bible. We go to the Word of God, okay? The Apostle's Creed is not Scripture. It's the underlining of Scripture. It's the highlight marker for Scripture, okay? The doctrines found in Scripture upon which all Christians in all time believe. That's what the Apostles' Creed is. And I know this might seem weird, controversial, I don't know. There are some passages of Scripture in your Bible that bear more consequence than other passages of Scripture. That's just a fact. For example, speaking in tongues is referenced a ton more times than the virgin birth. Okay, so if math was the metric... We'd say that the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, our Savior, <laughs> the immaculate conception and birth of Jesus, uh, from a mathematical perspective, doesn't carry as much weight as speaking in tongues. Okay? So we know math is not the metric, right? So when the creed was written in the second century, the church at that time was being divided by all kinds of movements and all kinds of heresies, okay? some of which professed Jesus was never divine. He was never fully God, as well as being fully man. There needed to be not just the unifying statement, agreement, but a, but a teaching tool that outlined what it meant to believe in the way. Here's what it means to believe. So in a very real way, the creed was born out of disunity. It was born with an ideal and a design to bring people together. So the Apostle Creed, written by the early church leaders, was written to pull people back onto the path of Scripture and away from actually abusing biblical truth or aspects of biblical truth for personal gain, which is exactly what was happening. It still happens today. People use certain truths in Scripture to build their platform, to elevate themselves, to gather a following, to do all kinds of different stuff. It's still abused today. Uh, in fact, the writing of this creed brought clarity. It ruined, actually, the attempts of some people to make biblical truth a possession that only certain people with the right knowledge had. And you should probably go to them first. So the creed became universal. It became available to all. 
which means the Apostles' Creed defines heresy. That is one scary word, isn't it? Heresy. For example, core to our belief is that Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. It's in the Creed. The core to our belief is that Jesus Christ died, was buried three days later, rose again. That is a core tenet of our faith. If that did not happen, I think we should all sleep in on Easter Sunday. I mean, that's what I would be doing. I mean, if if the resurrection, if I don't believe in the resurrection, why in the world would I drag myself to go sing about something I don't believe in on Easter Sunday? No, we should all sleep in a little bit and then get ready for opening day where you can go to Guaranteed Rate Field and cheer on the World Series World Champion Chicago White Sox. Yeah, I'm just making sure you're still listening. I'm just making sure you're with me. Again, I can throw all kinds of shade. Okay, no, seriously, the creed, what it does is it brings a conciseness to what is, but sometimes more specifically what isn't. What isn't. So a teacher pops up and says, yeah, I mean, I understand what Scripture says. Jesus never died, though he was just in a coma. Which... If you're in the church world, you'd think, yeah, we'd never say that. Seriously, it happens, even today, in the church world. Okay, it happens. Yeah, Jesus was just in a coma. The creed is our unification behind the fact that teachings like that are heresy and have no place in the body of Christ. That sounds really exclusive, but doctrine matters. It really does, especially the core doctrines that you find in the Apostles' Creed. And while that sounds exclusive, I would challenge anybody to think differently. I really would. The Creed kind of serves as a referee on the playing field of of theology. It always, always, always points us back to Scripture. And in doing so, what the Creed does is it unites us. It's this unification that takes place. We see our common ground with other Christians. Our common ground, Baptists, Methodists, Wesleyans, Catholics, and more. We disagree on a lot of things, right? That's why those things exist. We, we, we don't see eye to eye on a lot of the peripheral issues. The items in the creed are not those issues. We all agree on what you see in the creed. Denominations and different expressions of faith, those have their place. They really do. However, there are unifying beliefs at work that unite us far more than any peripheral issue may divide us. The creed allows us to keep the main thing the main thing, and it points to our oneness with others. This is what somebody once said. They said, the church writes some things in pencil, easily erased by the next generation. Some things are written in ink, hard to erase because they're believed with conviction. However, the creeds, those are written in blood. Those are written in blood. The point being, and it it seems so benign as you read, particularly if you grew up in a persuasion that recited prayers and recited the same creeds over and over and over again. Uh, I grew up that way. Soon, I mean, maybe this, it speaks more to me than the, the tradition. I just became numb to the words. And so maybe you're numb to the words of the Apostles' Creed. They're just, there's a list of words for you. There are people that have literally died. 
because of the things that are talked about in the creed. There are people that literally signed up to give their lives away 100%, die, death, because of standing behind the things that are spoken of in the creed. The creed was written in blood because what is contained in the creed actually is life-changing. Hannah mentioned that earlier. It's one thing to say, I believe. In fact, in the, in the book of John, towards the end, uh, John says, all of these things that I've written, I've written so that you might believe in the one who came, who died for you. But belief is putting some feet to those words. What does it look like? It's life-changing. The creed itself does not bring life. And I want to make sure you understand. I have a high regard for Scripture, obviously. The creed is not Scripture. It is the highlight marker for Scripture. It does not bring life. But just for a second, would you think about the implication of what is said in those words? Do you think that if you really believed in the resurrection of the dead, if you really believed in the work of of the Holy Spirit, if you really believed in the church, wouldn't that affect how you live? The decisions that you make? Don't you think your life would be lived differently? Because the Apostles' Creed shows us what we have. The Apostles' Creed shows us what we have, and next week, we're going to discover that we, 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 have a very, very loving Father. A Father who welcomes us home. A Father who loves us enough to show us the way, the path, the route. I'm looking forward to this journey with you. Um, can I share with you a couple of opportunities? And then what we're going to do is we're going to close the service by reciting the Apostles' Creed together as one. Uh, on the screen you're going to see uh, a couple of options. Last week, we introduced to you um, life's healing choices. So starting uh, in a Wednesday here, coming up soon, this is a, a precursor to Celebrate Recovery, if any of you are familiar with Celebrate Recovery. But uh, so far, there's about 12 people who've signed up for this. If you're interested, this is, everybody's got habits, hang-ups, hurts. If you're interested in processing some of the pain that you go through in your life, if you're ready to take a next step, this is a great group to be a part of. Philip and Ruby Peters are going to be leading it. It's a 10, 11-week study, I think. Maybe it's nine weeks. Don't quote me. But uh, I'm going to be right here in the front after this service is over. If you're interested in learning more about that, I just need your name, your email. We'll write it on a card here, and we'll kind of get you in the pipeline so you get more information on that. I would, I would love anybody who's interested in addressing any issue in their life to be a part of something like that. I think it's a really powerful tool. The other thing that's gonna be coming up here pretty soon, you'll see it on the next slide, is Embrace Life. Uh, some of you may be familiar with Embrace Grace and Embrace Life. Uh, Embrace Grace was founded in Texas uh, a number of years ago, but it's designed to provide a ministry and an opportunity for uh, unwed mothers, for those that are finding themselves uh, without support, without help. It empowers the church to create a group and a, an opportunity for women to engage. Embrace life is very much the same. If you're a single mother, 
or a struggling mother in, in our congregation, we want you to know that this church loves you and wants to come up alongside of you and help you and equip you to do what you need to be able to do and to show you that you're, as, you're part of us. You're, it's, it's we, it's us, it's one, okay? We wanna make sure that we come alongside of you and support you. We've got a number of uh, incredible women who have stepped up to help lead this group as well. If that's you, uh, I would just wanna encourage you. I'm gonna be up here again. So I got all kinds of note cards and pens. So I'm, I'm making this literally as your excuse, other than you have to walk up front and talk to me, which I know, tough call, I know. But uh, I'll be up here and uh, I would love to write down your name, your, your email, so that we can be in contact with you if that's something that you'd be interested in. We'd love to come alongside of you. We've got actually a number of women probably from the Youth and Family Bureau in Porter County who are gonna be joining us for that as well as some others, and so we look forward to that. Sound like a plan? Would you stand with me? On the screen, you're gonna see the uh, Apostles' Creed. I'm gonna ask if you would to uh, recite this with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Father, thank you for your love and grace. Thank you. That uh, even as we made that statement today, we know we don't make it in isolation, we don't make it in a vacuum. There are brothers and sisters all over the world today, Father, who've uttered those words, people we will never meet this side of heaven. But people, we also have this unbreakable bond with because of you. So Father, help us to recognize we're a part of something so much bigger, so much broader, so much more colorful, exciting. Help us to see, Father, we're a part of a movement to see your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Be with us now as we leave. Help us to glorify you in everything we say and everything we do in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you. Thank you again for being here. And like I said, I'll be up here in front. Though the storms may come in.